excited about the starting of this series, but I want to stop for just a second, and, and Melissa did a great job with announcements this morning, um, and uh, uh, talking about this, it is very difficult for a lot of people to get up in front of people and talk, um, and, uh, and so whenever somebody does that that's not used to it, that's a, that's a big deal, um, but I want to mention something uh, along the lines of all of this, I'm a little worried about how I'm going to handle this stage today, um, and, and not knock anything over, um, Last week I mentioned in my sermon that uh, we've got to find and we've got to fuel and we've got to fund the next generation. In order to reach the next generation, we've got to find, fuel, and fund the next generation. And what you see here and what you're going to see this week with all of the kids that are going to be here hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ is tangible evidence of funding that next generation. And your tithes and your offerings that you give on a the, the tithes you give on a regular basis and the offerings that you give when God blesses you directly goes to ministries just as that. And I wanted you to see a tangible evidence of that. And so if you're ever curious about how to give to our church, uh, God lays it on your heart. We've got some offering boxes in the back. And we also, you can go online to fbmason.org and there's a give uh, tab or just fbmason.org backslash give and you can give right there it's very simple had a, a guy this week uh, uh, a week a week or so ago go on there and he goes that's one of the most and he, he gave just a little bit because he wanted to check it out and said that was probably the easiest he talks to tons and tons of churches so that was one of the easiest giving processes I've seen for a church to do so if you want to give online it's very very simple um, but but it, this is what we use those funds for is to be able to reach not just our next generation, but our entire community and our world. And so um, uh, we'd love you to do that. On that note, uh, by the offering boxes, there's another thing um, that I'd like for you to do. These are some personal things for me as we're, we're looking at moving our church forward. Uh, I would like for you to take a church health survey. Um, and this, uh, this will help us see what you think of us as where we're at as a church in the areas of discipleship, evangelism, ministry, missions. And, uh, and so we need some people to do that. We're working with uh, um, some, some consultants from the BGCT, the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and from the national level uh, that are going to help us really seek out what God is creating here at First Baptist Mason. It's, it's, it's long. It's 160 questions, but it shouldn't take too long to do it. But we need 60 people to do it. And so there's a QR codes at the exits if you want to scan it with your phone. Or tomorrow I will send out... Uh, an email with a link to it in there. Um, if you would just take some time to do that, that would be awesome. That would help us out. We're going to put it together with some other data that we've been collecting outside the walls of our church and, and really help us formulate a plan to be most effective in not only reaching our community, but growing our community in disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, excited about that. And one other thing is we're starting a series called God Is. And we're going to look at the attributes of God throughout this whole series. And it's going to be most of the summer. I'm super excited about it. But one of the things that, that we're not going to look at, but I want us to know, is that we serve a God of celebration. And, and we like to celebrate stories. We like to celebrate moments, events, things like that. Because God is full of joy. And he brings joy and happiness to us and celebration. Uh, um, and, and so when we have moments in our church that we, that we have opportunities to do that, we want to do that. And so Father's Day is coming up in a couple weeks, um, two weeks from today, and, and, and we want to have fun that day. We want to celebrate um, the, not just the fathers but the men in our life. And my wife is a creative wife, and she's got some really cool things planned that I, I know some of them but not all of them, and I'm not supposed to share any of them. But one of the things that I need to share is for all the ladies in the room because the men won't do this. I know it. Okay? So all the ladies in the room, you need to go, you need to go shopping. I'm giving you permission to go shopping. 
and either online or wherever and find the man in your life the best dad or man shirt that they can and have them wear it that day okay so um yeah that's all i'm going to say about that but go shopping it can be obnoxious just keep it clean um but something that will be fun that day because we want to have a good time that day we will be looking that at the god is father that day um and and really bringing that 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 to light so um like i said i'm excited about this series those are just some announcements that i wanted to personally share this morning and uh so let's pray and then we'll start this really awesome series about who god is father father god we just come and we pray to you we pray to you every week lord but but i'm so excited as we get to really look at why we pray to you and the attributes of you the attributes that you carry over this series that make you who you are and allow us to have hope and allow us to have promise in you, Lord. And, and just that it's through these things that we're going to see that the world exists, the world functions, the world operates, but also that you love and you redeem and you restore and you renew. So I just pray that during this time, Lord, you would speak to us, you would allow us to grow closer to you by getting to know you a little bit better, and that this would be just a time that blesses you through our study of, of your word and, and, and how we can discover you in your word. So be with us during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we live in Texas, and if you live in Texas, you're probably very excited that you live in Texas. Other people long to live in Texas. So let's look at some 10, or I'm not going to say, I'm going to look at just a few little known facts about the size of Texas. Because don't they say everything is bigger in Texas? All right. So the entire world population of 7.8 billion people could fit into the state of Texas, assuming that the population density of New York City of 27,000 per square mile was in Texas. That's a lot of people. We don't want that to happen. If Texas were, were its own country, it would be the 40th largest out of 193 countries in the world, bigger than every country in Europe. The King Ranch is the largest ranch in Texas and the, and the U.S., and at 1,289 square miles, it is bigger than the state of Rhode Island alone. El Paso is closer to Denver at 637 miles than it is to Houston at 747 miles. This is an even crazier stat right here. This one blows my mind. El Paso is closer to the Pacific Ocean at San Diego, California, than it is to Texarkana, Texas. And if you take that a little bit further, it takes longer to drive from Texarkana to El Paso than it does to drive from Texarkana to Chicago. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. U.S. 83 is the longest highway in Texas at 783.5 miles long. DFW Airport at 23 square miles is larger than the island of Manhattan. Houston to New York City is a 1,416-mile drive. That's like driving from Houston to El Paso back and forth. Texas is big, right? 15 of the smallest states in the U.S. could fit simultaneously inside the borders of Texas. 
Now let's take it a little bit bigger. The earth to the moon is 238,900 miles away. The distance between earth and Mars is approximately 48,678,219 miles. The distance between earth and Neptune is approximately 2,703,959,960 miles. And the entire length of the Milky Way galaxy is 52,850 light years, which would take, it takes us 37,200 human years to travel one light year. So do that math. We live in a big world, a big galaxy, a big universe, and so big that it's impossible to understand the scope of just how big it is because we won't ever to be able to travel in our lifetime across our galaxy to the end of our solar system because just to go to Mars, it takes seven months. It takes four years to go to Saturn, 12 and a half years to get to Pluto. It's big. If I had to be in a car for that long, oh man. The universe is big. And the fact that the universe is so big for me and vast is one of the most fascinating aspects of how things relate to God. Because this is what I want you to take from today. God is bigger than all that. And it's very tempting to say, amen, let's pray, let's go home. Because that's the point. God is big. God is big. But I want us to look a little bit closer at what that means and what that means for our life. And when I say God is big, we have to begin here. And, and, and I want to use a different terminology than big. Big makes it simple to understand. But I want you to see the scope of it. When I say God is big, I mean God is infinite. God is infinite. Nothing is bigger than God. He's infinite. And during this series, we're going to look at the attributes that make up who God is and how those attributes play into every moment of our life so that he can guide us, teach us, shape us, fulfill his promises, and ultimately love us and save us. And so hopefully by the time we get done with this series, you're going to be able to take this mythical, mystical, supernatural power of God And unleash your understanding of him so that you might be able to live more in freedom and more in hope. I want you to be able to understand that that the reason that things can happen the way they do is because God is who he says he is. And because the very nature of God is what, what does this. So when I was in seminary, I had to take several classes called systematic theology. And you might have heard this. And I will tell you, before I was entering those classes, that term scared me. Systematic theology. Systematic theology. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Theology is the study of God and religious beliefs, which is what we call our doctrine. This is our doctrine. And systematic theology is taking that doctrine, taking that study of God, taking those beliefs, and just organizing them. It allows us to be able to to understand them better, clearer, and to apply those very easily. easily. And one of the things... The thing I love most about my systematic theology classes was that they began with a study of God. Now, 
in those classes, we started with God, and then we went and we looked at Jesus, we looked at the Holy Spirit, we looked at sin, we looked at the end times, we looked at everything um, that, that we, make, we know makes up the Christian life and the Christian world, but we began with God, because it all begins with God. He's the foundation, and it's the attributes of God that we must learn to do that. So, when we start talking about God, we have to talk about the infiniteness of God. Why? Because when we talk about the infiniteness of God, we see them displayed in all of his other attributes. We see that he is infinite displayed in everything that he does. So we want to start the big picture, that God is big. And then we want to narrow it down and bring it down. And because it's because of this, because of his infiniteness, that he has the power and the authority to carry out his will. So let's, let's look deeper at it. Miller J. Erickson, who's a, a systematic theologian, says this. God is infinite. This means not only that God is unlimited, but that he is unlimitable. Or he is illimitable. Okay, I'm going to stop for a second, and I'm going to apologize and confess to you for this whole series. Big words in my mouth don't always work. And you're going to laugh at me stumbling over some things, and we're totally okay with that because I'll be laughing on the inside. So my apologies if I accidentally say something extremely wrong and it comes out not sounding real good. Um, But there's a lot of big words when we talk about God, and that's okay because God is big, right? Okay, so he is not, he's unlimited, and he's illimitable. In this respect, God is unlike anything we experience. There's nothing else like him. There's nothing else like him. He's a limitless being. Nothing can restrict him. We all have limits. We have limits on everything. Think about the limits in your life that you might not ever really realize it's a limit. You have a credit limit. There's a limit on how many items you can take through the express line at the store. Did you know that? Speed limit. Term limits in politics. There's limits all throughout our life every day. But God has no limits. And how do we know this? Well, Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And that phrase, beyond measure, means nothing can limit him. Nothing can measure it. We can measure everything else. We can measure the distance from El Paso to Austin, from El Paso to Texarkana, to El Paso to San Diego. We can measure the distance from earth to the stars. But we can't measure God. And this is something that becomes very difficult for people to process and for people to comprehend. And for me, I'm an information addict. When I see something that I don't know much about, I love to research it and find out as much as I can about it. So if I am watching a movie and I see an actor I don't recognize, I will Google that actor and learn every movie that that actor's ever been in and then start connecting them with other actors that that they've been in, um, playing Six Degrees of Separation. I love and devour sports stats and uh, love to learn about new ideas and technologies And honestly, I love to learn about politics. That's a bad thing, but I love to learn about politics. Because part of this is because I want to be able to hold a conversation 
on just about any topic with anybody I come into contact with. But my knowledge is limited. There's a capacity to what I can learn. And my learning capacity can actually be measured. And we have, there's a myth that's been out there that says that we only use 10% of our brain on a regular basis. And I'm like, how do they know if I'm only using 10% of my brain? People assume that. But how do they know that? Well, it's not true. Like I said, it's a myth. Science has shown us that our brain is active most of the time. A couple words I want you to notice there. I said 10%. So when I say percent, I'm putting a quantitative value on that. Something that can be measured. It says most of the time. That means there's a measurement. Most. Not all of the time, not some of the time, but most of the time. So these things can be measured. So when things can be measured, that means there is a limit. There's an end. There's an end to what we are capable of. We are finite. And the thing that really unlocked God to me, and I hope this helps unlock God to you, the thing that really unlocked God to me is I had to reconcile with myself is that I won't ever be able to fully understand God. And the reason why is because my finite mind cannot comprehend the infiniteness of God. And when I came to that realization that my mind is limited and God is not, it opened a whole world of things to me. Because it said, you don't need to know. In a world that I want to know everything, I don't need to know. I just got to believe and trust. We have a limited lifespan and we have limited resources. Space and time, we can measure. Everything has a beginning and an end. So how can we understand that if we live in this world that's limited in our view? Well, we can put into a few perspectives some some aspects that will help us to do that. So I mentioned space. I looked at the distance of space. Well, it's not just outer space. Everything we are in is space. So let's look at what this means, God's infinity in space. Here's some big words that you might have heard before when it comes to this. This is typically referred to as immensity and omnipresence. You ever heard those words? Immensity and omnipresence. What this means is God is not subject to the limitations of space. God is not subject to the limitations of space. He's not confined to any space at all. Everything, every finite thing has a place. Every finite thing has a place. I can pull out my cell phone and I can see where my family is just by opening an app. They're at a place. They're at a location. We know where different places are on earth and we know distances and different objects in space. And even though those things move, you know, every object in space is in orbit and it's moving, it's still in a location. It's occupying space. Our world is made up of matter. And I, when I taught fifth grade science, I had to teach mass, matter, volume, density, all of that stuff. And, and I would always teach them um, the definitions of what matter was. And by definition, 
The definition of matter is matter cannot be created nor destroyed. I disagree with that because God can create matter, but we can't create matter. Matter cannot be created destro- destroyed, but the definition is anything that has mass and takes up space. So anything that's tangible, that has mass and takes up space, is finite. But when we're looking at an infinite God, he doesn't take up space. Because if it's finite, we have to ask ourselves a question, where is it located or what location is it taking up? And with God, we can't ask those questions because they aren't applicable. He was there before space, and scriptures tell us that he brought space into being. God has no matter or mass for us to locate him. He's infinite. Acts 17, 24, and 25 tells us this. It says, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And we studied this in our Life Connection group this morning about how in the Old Testament, in Exodus, God gave the, the, the directions, the instructions for them to build the Ark of the Covenant. And then later on, we see directions for him to build the temple. And this is the place that he would dwell. And they would come and they would see him. And they would experience his presence. And, and, and I came to the realization as I was studying for this this week that that, that story is not about the present where God is going to be. It's about the Israelites being obedient enough to see God. Because God is not confined to an ark of a covenant. It's just where he shows up for them. God is everywhere. God is not confined to the church walls. When we come here, we don't we, we don't have to come here to experience God. We can experience God anywhere. We come here to worship God. There's no place that God cannot be found. Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24 says this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Siri just looked up Jeremiah 23 for me. That was awesome. Go back to that for just a second. Look at this. Am I a God at hand, which means he's close, and not a God far away? He's both. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? God is everywhere. So when we look at this idea that God is infinite, when it comes to space, he fills everything. He fills everything. He's everywhere because he's infinite. Then we have to look at the relation to time. We looked at the relation of space and that, 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 that nothing can, can, can constrain him and nothing can, can hold him in because he has created it all. And he was there before and he's going to be there at the end. And when we look at time, this is where we see this, that, that he was there before time began and he has no end. Revelation 22, 23 says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So not, as, not only is he everywhere, he always has been and always will be. 
He's before time and he's at the end of time. And that's a promise that we know that God is, was, is, and will be. That's a promise that we can live our hope on. We can live our lives living in that, knowing that not only is God everywhere, he's always going to be everywhere. We can, we can go to the bank on that. The other aspect of time that we want to look at is not only was he there at the beginning and he's the end, the alpha and the omega, he doesn't change. And I want you to, to have a little bit of introspection here for a second. Think back to you a year ago, kind of the beginning of quarantine. How many pounds have you gained in that year? You've changed. Go back five years. Go back 10 years, 20 years. I thought about putting some pictures of myself up there, but that would be too incriminating. Um, But think about how much you've changed over the last 20 years. Not just your looks, but think about your attitude. Do you have a better outlook on life? Are you more cynical now? Think about your interests. Did you discover things along the way that you never knew you would like and now you love them? Or are you not as interested in something as you were once before? You've changed. You've added people to your family and that's completely changed your dynamic. Everything about us is constantly changing. Our world is changing around us at a faster pace than ever before. But that doesn't happen with God. God doesn't change. He has always been what he is. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Straight out of the words of his mouth, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I, the Lord, do not change. That's a promise to us. Because he's everywhere, and he doesn't change in that. He's not going to change who he is. So everything that we read in this book about who God is, and this is one of the main reasons we start with his infiniteness that he do, and that he doesn't change, is that we can believe every word of this as truth because he doesn't change. So we've looked at space, we've looked at time, and now we need to look at his infiniteness, infiniteness in respect to knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. Remember, Psalm 147.5 said that his understanding is beyond measure. His understanding cannot be measured. His wisdom cannot be qualitatively or quantitatively measured. Proverbs 15.3 says that his eyes are in every place, keeping watch on good and evil. And Matthew 10.29-30 says, Not a sparrow can fall to the ground, without the Father knowing, and he tells the disciples that the hairs on their head are numbered. Have you ever tried to count the hairs on your head? Because I've heard that verse growing up, and I'm like, well, if it says my hairs can't be counted, I'm going to try and count. Not possible. Not possible. The hardest thing for me growing up is I'd get bored in class, and I'd try and start counting the dots on the ceiling tiles. You ever do that? And then you'd lose track real quickly. God knows what the number is. He's not going to tell you if you ask him, but God knows. You know, God knows everything. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
His knowledge is limitless. I strive to know as much as I possibly can. It's just part of my personality. I, I, I absorb information. But I'll never have unlimited knowledge like God has. I don't know what's happening on the other side of the world in this very moment. I don't know what's happening in the house across the street right now. But God does. God does. And because of that, his wisdom is limitless. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. They say that Solomon was the wisest man to walk on the earth. And he had a limit on his wisdom. And he did some unwise things. God his wisdom is limitless. He has access to all knowledge and information. He knows everything and sees everything. And therefore, his decisions are made in the wisdom from that knowledge. So when something in your life happens and you say, how could God do this to me? Or why does God let bad things happen to good people? We can't understand that because our minds are finite. But what we can do is get to a place of understanding that that says, and you hear us say this, that God is working for good because it is his will. It's in his unlimited knowledge and wisdom that God is carrying that out. And we have to trust that. And how many times in your life have you gone through something very, very tough and difficult and strong and it was painful and you didn't understand it? And then a few months or years down the road, you look back and go, I get it now. I get it now. God knew what he was doing in that moment. God knew what he was doing in that moment. And it's so hard to comprehend, to wrap our minds around it, because we can't. Because he is infinite. And in that infiniteness, we see that he's limitless in his power. He can do all things that are proper objects of his power. And I love Genesis 17.1. I am the God Almighty. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. When God says, I am God Almighty, that's I am God of all power. Nothing is more powerful than me because I'm limitless in my power. He has the power to do all things in his choosing. Matthew 19, 26 tells us, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. And we take that verse and we apply that to our lives as, well, if we can't do it, God will get us to do it. With God's strength, we can make it happen. We can do it. We can, we can survive this with God's strength. And that is true, that with God's strength, you can survive it. But you have to understand that in God's power, where it says his decisions are made with wisdom 
and he can do all things that are proper objects of his power, that that might not be the way you want things to turn out. But it's his power. He has the power to move mountains. Think about the redwood trees. Has anybody ever gone to California to see the redwood trees? I never have. I long to go there. It's on my bucket list because I just want to see the power and majesty of those trees. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you can fully begin to appreciate the power of God's creation. As you go on the boat and you get up close to the water, to the falls, and you feel that power pushing the boat back. For me, that was the first time that I ever truly saw the power of God tangibly. But back to those redwood trees. Do you know the size of a seed of a redwood tree? It's like this small. To create the largest trees on earth. And you can't just plant a redwood seed and it begin to grow. It has to have power behind it in the form of the little husk of that seed has to be burned for it to open up. And when a forest fire comes through and it opens up, then the trees begin to grow. And they become mighty. And we look at that and I'm blown away by that. But then I look and I see that in God's, all of God's infinite wisdom and knowledge and power, he can move mountains. And if he can do that, if he can do all of that, if he's infinite, limitless in space, time, knowledge, and power, then that means he can do anything in my life. And I can live in freedom knowing that God is in control of my life. And if something happens to me, God is there, good or bad. And if my life were to end suddenly, it's because God chose that to happen. And so because of that, because I am not in control of my life, because I do not have unlimited wisdom and power and knowledge, I have to learn more about him. And I have to live out every day of my life following him and honoring him and telling others about him. When I look at the infinite vastness of God that's so big, I cannot comprehend it. The only thing that I can do is worship him with my life. And that's what I want you to begin to understand that your finite mind cannot comprehend the infinite nature of God. And the only proper response to that is to worship him. Because if you ever go to a sporting event, if you ever go to Niagara Falls, if you ever go to anything and you are in awe of something someone has done, that's worshiping what they've done. And when we see, and that's, that's not always a bad thing, to celebrate something great and grand. But to see God, to see that everything in earth, in the heavens and the earth, and space and time, from before time began to after time ends, is all controlled 
by an infinite God, our lives should be walking around with our mouths hitting the ground in awe, worshiping him. So John and the band are going to come up, and we're going to have a song of worship. And I'm just going to ask you to come and stand and worship him. And if you don't know him, but you want to know him, if, you, if you've heard something and you're like, I need to know more about this guy, this God, this infinite being. I need to know more about him. I'll be here to talk to you about that. But for the rest of us, I want you just to stand and I want you to pray. I want you to worship. I want you to do whatever you need to do to be in awe